0: Hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 41. On this episode, I have Kyle Schneider from Stoats Equipment and Aaron Fintel from 21st Century Equipment. Guys, welcome to the podcast.
1: Howdy. You. Hello, hello, America. It's uh, Canada and
0: Mexico. Well, it's, it's, it's an internet show, so it's worldwide.
1: It is worldwide. It's global. Hello,
0: world. It's global now. Hello,
2: world. There you
0: go. Everything is taking off um all right guys so let's take a look at a few topics that have been kind of bouncing around in my head and you guys have we kind of collectively talked about a few things before we started doing this so um first off weather patterns right now across no matter where you're at is just absolutely gets cold everywhere i don't i know it's cold here i know it's cold in the south i know it's cold back east and i'm sure it's probably cold where you're at kyle up up in, in utah there so Give me your thoughts. Not really, no. No, it's not. You're in a you're freaking. No, how's it not cold?
2: We're forty-five degrees
0: today, and just
2: enjoying sunshine.
0: Has it and, been cold? You
2: know, it has not. No, which is, and we have no snow to show for it. So, it's uh, people are getting on, on edge, hoping that we get some snow for this summer, for moisture.
0: Okay, well, that's that's a good segue into. Uh, to one of my topics and so let's talk about what you see happening as far as water and stuff goes out in the southwest so for those of you who don't know Kyle works for Stokes Equipment he's the use equipment manager for Stokes Equipment and basically they cover all of the southwest all the way up into Idaho pretty much uh, Colorado a little bit of Colorado a little bit of Wyoming Utah Arizona California Nevada a little bit of California Nevada um miss any place?
2: Uh, a little bit of new mexico
0: a little bit of new mexico okay so so they've got a little bit of everything happening out there so how's the water looking how's the snow pack in the mountains and you know you guys are gearing up for your big irrigation season here not this you know back down in the in the extreme southwest you're two three months away from uh that that part of that season taking off so what's the water look like and, and how are you guys uh kind of gearing up for that
2: so You know, up in Idaho, we got really lucky last year. We had a really good snowpack, which filled the reservoirs. And towards the end of the season last year during harvest, you know, our reservoirs are still sitting at 90% uh, of water in the reservoir. So they're looking pretty good. Um, This winter right now, you know, we've got abnormally warm temperatures. Uh, The snowpack is literally non-existent in some areas. Uh, you know, normally from where I'm at, I can look out my office and see a, a lot of snow up in the mountains, and they're just not happening. You know, we're not getting the storms at all. If we do get a storm, it doesn't even stick, and it doesn't really create any snowpack for us. So, I think right now we're going to have to hope that uh, we do get some snow so we can have that moisture. Um, the Idaho regions up there, they're going to be doing really good with with water this year, but if they don't get some. Some snow to replenish those what they use this coming summer, uh, then they'll be in they'll be in a in a hurt. You know here in Utah Arizona, um, you know Nevada Southern California. We're we're in a, a drought right now. We're forecasted to have extreme drought this year as well. Uh, I saw a report today that came out from uh, I think the USDA at the end of December showing drought areas throughout the U.S. and pretty much all of Utah Arizona. We're in a, a very high drought area for at least the next six months, and so um, at this point, you know, if we don't get some moisture here, uh, we're going to have some guys that are going to be hurting and, and struggling to grow some crops in the evening and grow some decent crops at that, so it's a big concern of ours. We're watching it heavily, and you know, we do a lot of alfalfa work out here in, in Utah, Arizona, you know, with cotton down in Arizona. get to the wheat and the sugar beets and potatoes up in Idaho. Uh, it could be... A, An interesting year for us, to say the least. So it's a big concern. We're watching it closely, and a lot of guys are are watching the weather and praying and hoping we get some snow to come in soon. But looking at the long-term forecast, it's continuing in this 40-degree temperature, it seems like, for at least the next two weeks with no no indication of any moisture really whatsoever.
0: You guys are holding out for a bomb cyclone, huh? You want those to come through and dump about snow on you?
2: I would love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, it's bad when the ski resorts can't even open before Thanksgiving because they have no snow, and it's been so warm that even the uh, snowmaking tools don't do any good. So it's uh, it's pretty pretty bleak right now. So Crazy. I'd love a bomb cycle to come through here.
0: <laughs> we were talking about a few things before we started going, and one of them you brought up was a uh, conference call that you were on this morning, a webinar, I guess, with. Uh, some folks at Purdue University. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what that what you heard in that conference call?
2: Sure. So, it was uh, Purdue did their, their Center of Ag Development. I think that's what they call it. They did a uh, 2018 Ag Look, Outlook webinar this morning, and it was pretty interesting listening to them what they what they see for 2018. You know, one thing that I thought was pretty interesting was they were talking about commodities, the amount of stockpiled commodities that we have in the U.S. You know, mainly the three biggies, corn, soybean, and wheat. And it was interesting to see how our wheat stockpiles have grown over the past five years. Um, you know, and that wasn't just corn, it was also soybean and, um, and wheat as, as well. But corn had the biggest jump. And, and with the current commodity prices and with the amount of excess commodities we have sitting in elevators and that, they they pretty much saying you know they don't see corn really ever getting back to the levels we saw a few years ago. That what we're seeing today seems like it's going to be the new norm. Um, you know, but they also talked about those commodities compared to other parts of the the, uh, the world. You know, South America, for instance, um, have been changing up a little few things. You know, they've got some. Some actual areas down there that are going to be going through some drought this year, it looks like, but also others that are going to be heavy on moisture and trying to look at what that's going to do to the commodity and the worldwide uh, stockpiling as well. Um, But they are also talking a little bit about how it was interesting, you know, some guys are doing more, how they should do more of a crop rotation between corn and soybean, and increase the number of soybeans out there because I know China if you look over the past I don't know how many years 10 plus the, the demand for soybeans in China has just grown but yet we're still producing more corn than our soybeans and, and I kind of in my opinion it, it was like they were saying you know maybe we should start looking at doing some more crop diversification or transitioning and, and grow more one crop over another than what we've traditionally done so that we can hopefully kind of offset those things, bring some things down in line, but, you know, help demand or or help feed that demand on some other areas where we really haven't done such before. You know, they did talk a little bit about uh, the drought coming up and how that's going to affect us as well. And it wasn't just commodities, but they also looked at, you know, uh, feeder cattle, uh, pigs, and chickens in terms of how much demand has, has grown over, over that and, and how much we're, we're producing and, and, and getting out there in the market. And so, you know, it was kind of a, it, it was still optimistic, the webinar was. Uh, they, they said there's some good things coming out there, but there's still some caution there as well and not knowing what's gonna exactly happen in 2018 with the amount of commodities we have out there. Even though we're seeing some high demand in other areas, we still have a lot of of excess sitting around. And it, it'd be interesting to see what happens, so. Um, I, I, I thought it was really interesting how they were saying, you know, maybe do some more crop rotation things, in, in the soybeans away from corn. And I just, the thought came to my mind is what would that do to the, the equipment market as a whole worldwide if something like that happened? You know, because corn seems to be the number one uh, driver of equipment in some areas. And uh, if we change up everything, I mean, combines, planters, sprayers, stuff like that is still going to be out there. but. Could see uh, a change in things if if these these growers decide to make some major changes to their operations as well. I
0: mean, yeah, that is something to think about. I mean, if, if guys are going to start changing up their operations to like uh, dramatically change it from focusing on one crop into uh, into where their focus is going to be on another on another crop, and they're going to rotate in and out of those crops, that's uh, that is something yeah. that will that will make a big difference in the overall outlay of used equipment. And what that looks like. Even, not just in the U.S. but around the world, and what that demand is, you know what that spike looks like. I think everyone's gone through some level of change, you know, over time, where they've gone through the the thirty-inch row to twenty-inch row or twenty-two-inch row planer thing, or if they've done, uh, you know, like f- for example, back home there was a back in Kansas, in southern Kansas, there was a there was a big run on on cotton, not, uh, in the mid '90s, I think, and everybody was growing cotton well that switched out to where they went back to more real crop traditional corn and beans and those kind of things so there was you know what do you do with bull buggies what do you do with you know cotton pickers or cotton strippers and those kind of things so it was a a transition but yeah if you start looking at it from a whole world perspective there'll be some big big changes in, in used equipment as a whole
1: yeah but you know one thing to keep in mind i know from So, like, in at least six Midwestern states, High Plains and Midwestern, there's going, guys are going away from beans a little bit just due to herbicide resistance. Right. There's a lot of guys that were a third and two-thirds or 50-50, and they are having a nightmarish time with herbicide resistance. Yeah. So that's impacting their decision, you know, from a bottom line be damned but they're going to do what they can to you know yeah yeah you can make more money on beans but when you spray them 13 times or you got to cultivate them twice or you know who knows what it it, that all disintegrates that bottom line and corn is still king that and i don't know when that ever 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 will end
0: there was a
2: i agree with you aaron I mean, it was interesting. Listening to the talk, you know, just not feeling like they, they're saying, you know, people should change, but I agree. You know, corn's king, and I don't think corn will ever drop from being king. It's just that's the way it has been, and I just don't see it changing ever, so.
0: Well, I, I mean, corn's absolutely always going to be the, the king of the hill. Um, now, they are predicting that this is the first time since 1983 or something like that, that, that soybean acres are going to outpace corn. Um, and so they're how that's going to affect the marketplace, but there's the demand for soybeans in China from is such a high, high demand thing that there's going, there's going to be a a draw there for that. But, um, I read the Ag Web, you know, I, they have them on my phone, I get that, ad, you know, stuff that pops up. And today they had a headline pop up that says, Plant as much corn as you want, don't expect to make money. So that was that was the most enlightening thing I saw today. <laughs> Right. I, I saw yeah. that and I was like, man, I'm gonna, I'm going I'm gonna that. I'm put that out. And I was like, man, I don't know if I want to be that known as that guy though. But it was, it was funny. But I mean, the whole, the whole article stems around the fact that, you know, uh, they just don't see the profitability in corn for what it is, and and soybean acres are going to take over, um, and what that looks like. So it'll be. But-
1: you know, something else, something else to keep in mind, guys, if a corn sucks globally, not just
0: here. Oh, absolutely, yeah.
1: And, and our, our friends in South America, who have lived and died by the soybean for years and years and years, jumped on the corn bandwagon a few years ago, that's not gonna taste as sweet as it once did. So I think they're gonna push and push and push on the bean market. So yeah, you know, China has an unending need for beef. But we have huge, huge pressure from them guys. I think the secret to the whole thing is, you know, what they've been doing since nineteen seventy five, trying to find more uses for the corn.
0: Yeah, I mean well, another thing too, China has a has a ethanol mandate, I believe it's twenty twenty, I think, is when they have that mandate that takes place and and they're trying to switch more of their fuel basis over to ethanol away from you know coal and other uh fossil fuels and just like everybody else is and you know they're looking at you know electric cars and all these different things that are there well they're going to have to get that corn from someplace and hopefully it's us that way our commodity prices come up that's the best chance we have for for upward movement commodity prices is is how the export market is going to Work with that and what the dollar does and what these interest rates do to the overall price of the dollar worldwide, and, and then how that's going to affect our exports. So, hopefully, knock on wood, there's going to be some demand out there, and we can make a few things work um, in our favor instead of against us here for, for once. I hope. Another thing that we talked about here, and it's on all of our minds more than anything, is probably huge uh, equipment demand. So I've said a few times on this thing that I, that I think producers and growers are, are looking at uh, probably upgrading their equipment more because they have to, not because they want to, because the hour ranges they're up against and what those reconditioning costs look like when they get ready to go back to the field um, next year. So they're looking at uh, when does a shop bill become a, a down payment and what does that look like and how do I handle that and what's my cash flow situation and so on and so forth. Now. All that being said, that's awesome. There's some demand for that out there, but unfortunately, with the lack of new sales, there's not been as much uh, uh, late model low hour stuff come across our lot. So what are you doing, Kyle, right now, and trying to uh, find that late model low hour stuff? Um, what are you what are your customers looking at? kind of what's the overall feel right now for um, what your customers' overall need from your dealership is versus what the supply is?
2: Uh, Right now, I'd say our biggest need is they're looking. We're getting those guys that are coming in where the past couple of years, they've held on to the equipment that they've had. Um, I saw this just this last month, a lot of guys coming in saying, my accountant says I have money I need to spend. You know, guys have been saving and they're looking to upgrade, but they're not wanting to go to the new. We are getting some that are going new, but they're looking for those those low-hour lease returns. They know there's some good deals to find out there. They're not taking that hit on the equity right up front from buying a new one. And it's I'd say that 1,000-hour-less machine right now is, is top dog. That's what guys are wanting to look for. As soon as you get over that, uh, in my opinion right now, as soon as you get over that 2,000, 2,500-hour 2, mark, those machines are getting harder to move. Guys are getting out of those machines, getting in that 1,000-hour-less machine, and they're looking to upgrade. You know, just like you're saying there, you know, it's going to cost too much to keep the upgrade or, or fix something on their current tractor, so why not spend the money and find a nice one that they really want, uh, with the horsepower that they've always wanted or with the features that they've wanted, and they're, and they're getting those machines. Um, one thing that I have seen recently, which I think is good, you know, we all love the internet, but we also hate the internet from an equipment sales standpoint, is I've seen a lot of guys come in and they're saying, you know what, I know I could go find one, but I want to just work with you as my dealer, here's my specs, this is what I want, go find me a tractor. And so, you know, we're able to go look at things, you know, we've had guys come in and go find me a nice lease return and do that. And and we're finding those machines. We're actually, you know, working with other dealers. Um, I've worked with Aaron 21st on some stuff. And that's what, to me, that's what I'm right now. Um, I just do not have that, that late model, low hour tractor as much as I want to have in stock. To take care of the demand that I have here locally, um, we're, we're having to go out and find those things. And but I, it seems like I have a lot of those higher hour machines, which are still good machines, and we're still finding guys that want those, but not as much as I would like, because there's still quite a few of them out there. And, and the, so that that like I said, that low hour late model, that's what's going to be the the king you know we're still seeing a few of those guys that are saying you know what find me that 30 series that 20 series that aught series i just want to get away from all you know exhaust or computer stuff whatsoever and i'm still seeing some good demand on that kind of stuff as well surprisingly
0: it's a price driven market though right i mean you're looking at the 30 series 20 series aught series 10 series tractors those kind of things it's more price driven than it is spec driven is that what you're seeing
2: it is yeah, it's still it's still more price and we've got guys that want them. But they, you know, those are the farmers that I hate to say this—they just struggle. They've never been able to really get things under their feet to get that newer stuff. But you know, when they when they upgrade to those, they're loving it because it's just better than what they've had. You know? I talked to a good friend of mine. His dad finally bought an eighty-one twenty here a year or so ago, and got rid of his old, you know, upgraded from like a forty-four forty type thing. He was just that kind of a farmer and you know, but he's still loving it. It was it was in his price point and you know, he's getting things, he's he's looking to put auto track on it right now and really get into the technology side of things. Um, but he's just a slower buyer compared to what we're seeing others do in terms of upgrading and the newer stuff, the newer technologies.
0: So Aaron, when you okay, so Kyle's point there and we we're seeing that here. Eight R's that come in that we're trading in right now have 2,500, 3,500, 4,500 hours. I even looked at one the other day it had 6,000 hours on it. So um, for us, those are a ton of hours. So when you come kind of in your position, your role company, kind of those kind of things, where do you see those higher-hour 2010 to 2012 model row crop tractors going?
1: So, uh, You know, I remember back... Oh, one time this summer on podcast here, we were talking about how that, you know, that sweet spots, that 1,500 to 2,000 hour tractor. And I said, yeah, they are. If you can trade for them cheap enough to sell them, because everybody's still pretty proud of them? The problem we're running into now, I think, is as as far as the market itself is concerned, there's not a big enough gap between, say, the thousand-hour tractor and the three-thousand-hour tractor on sheer trade difference. The twenty-five-hundred-hour-plus tractors will still move, uh, but they—I mean, honest, honestly—they are—they're—they're they're super, super soft yeah. and. You know, you take, you take a 3,500-hour uh, 8,360-R and a 3,500-hour 8,530, you know, like what, you know, the kind of market Kyle was talking about, and for a guy to whip out the checkbook and do it, there's not a hell of a lot of gap. It's kind of like we were talking late fall about, you know, a... An, a 12 F670 versus an 11 Same hours, the 9770, you know, same hours, same price, guy's going to pick 9770. And that's kind of where we're at now. And I don't know if it is like what Kyle was saying, if it is a. If that market is driven surely by fear of the electronics, or if. Or, or exactly what the problem is but it is a very very soft market yeah it's not you know it's not cut your wrist jump off a cliff saw but it's you know it's it's soft enough a guy needs to be paying attention to it
0: yeah and Kyle to your point I think I, I agree with what both of you are saying I think to your point guys now I I notice they're very specific in what they're looking for and they're not going to just you know back in the boom and things were, were throwing and going and things were awesome if you had something they'd buy it didn't really matter what it was didn't matter about the hours it, it, they'd just buy it um, because they needed to burn some ca- some level of capital for taxes or whatever it might be today guys are like you know what I, I was probably I bought new stuff when I could and things were good and I'm, I was more of a traditional used buyer and so that's what I am now that's what I'm going back to I want the XYZ tractor with the ABC uh, options and and whatever else it might be. And I'm going to wait till I find the one that I want because it's more of a long-term investment now than it is a, uh, you know, a short-term investment. You know, guys are probably trade cycles now are going to go back to three to five years on instead of, you know, one or two, you know. So um, when you're looking at the customer base, you work with Kyle, where do you see what what are you going to do with those tractors that are coming in that like you just talked about that are that are the higher hour stuff that's got more, um, a more you know more hours on them uh, than than you probably are used to traditionally seeing on your lot.
2: The big thing that I see right now is is we're taking I've got a couple of sales guys who are doing a really good job at this. You know they're going after those those C and D customers that we haven't really talked to in years past. Um, they're going to, the their local guys, they're going to the, the conversion guys, you know, trying to get somebody out of a, a mafia or a case tractor and talking to those guys. Um, I've got one salesman I can think of right now, and, and he seems to kind of flourish, and just going after that type of guy saying, look, you know, I know you've got a tractor. These are higher hours. They're still good tractors. You know, we're, we're doing stuff like war- putting some internal warranty on ourselves. We'll back this tractor for, you know, the first 90 days or a 1,000 hours or something to that effect and, you know, standing behind the tractor and just going to them and say, here's a great tractor, we can do this for you. Um, and that seems to be our kind of our bread and butter right now to move some of those tractors. They're, like, going to Aaron's point, there is still a market for those tractors elsewhere, but it is softer and you have to just be able to work with it and wait to sell those things. but. For me, I'd say going to our local guys and, and really work on that and fine-tuning in terms of saying, okay, salesman, why I want you to focus on this type of a customer and going after that. That seems to be working for us right now, and I hate to say it. Everybody's done it. You know, We're even putting some lease packages together for guys and upgrading their fleets from that standpoint and getting getting them into some tractors that they thought they'd never been able to get into and we're moving some stuff that way it's just not as fast as i would like to go or like to see but they're still moving so should continue to try to work on that
0: let's jump into some lease equipment out here so leasing as as 2018 rolls through here and how you think that's going to affect the marketplace i think our leasing sales are going to remain the same if not go up a little bit um i feel like um, to your point kyle your your you're, you're total cost of operation when you have a when you have a lease compared to a, a a traditional finance note it's obviously cheaper to lease a piece of equipment and operate it that way throw some extended warranties in there and next thing you know you really outside of your diesel fuel and and um you know maybe your labor costs you can put your insurance and everything all wrapped into that and and you know what your true fixed cost of operation is to run that a piece of equipment so I still think leasing is going yeah. to be a, a strong point for us, whether it's new or used. So I think it's going to be a continued um, something that we're going to see happen. Um, you know, what are you seeing? You, you see similar things at where you're at, where leasing is going to be continue to be strong, maybe not grow a little bit, maybe if not grow a little bit more into uh, 2018. Oh
2: yeah, I mean we leasing is still not. I don't want to say it's not big for us out here. It's still a big market. Um, we've primarily been an outright purchase type, um, market out here, but I still do see that leasing still going to be a strong thing. We'll see some growth on it, not huge growth, not not a huge change from an outright purchase to, to a lease, but I, I don't see leasing declining. Um, i say say for us it's probably going to stay flat, if not grow a little bit and continue on at that. And I, I I'd say that would be the same way nationwide for what we're seeing here in the U.S. Um, Leasing is just going to be one of those things that's going to be kind of a constant now, just how it goes. Um, The big thing I see with leasing right now is, depending on how the lease packages were written two, three years ago, or even a year ago on some of these guys, is I think we might see a a little bit of an influx with some good low-hour tractors coming in that some dealers just don't want to do a buyback on. Um, the customer is not going to want to release it because the payment isn't what it was when he got it brand new, and so they're probably going to just turn it back in and get some new, new equipment. And so I, I think we'll see a little bit more of an influx of that newer late models for newer low-hour stuff coming in that you know for, for those dealers who are, don't have that, that type of equipment in their inventory can get their hands on, and get some good equipment for their customers to, to buy or, or to lease again as well. Um, but I do worry about the number of leases that are gonna come back in from from an episode of that. You know, I just heard of some tractors coming in that I was just completely in awe of a dealer not taking them and a customer not buying them back that are uh, up for grabs right now. And you know, we're looking at some of these to buy for inventory because they're good machines that we think we can turn around and sell again
0: right so aaron the guys you talk with so you you deal with everyone live even on here enough i think people know what you do but there there's been a you're dealing with with the wholesale side market but you also deal with the internet buyer and i define the internet buyer as a guy who spends the majority of his time on the internet trying to find the best deal he can and not necessarily that loyal to his local um local dealer whoever that might be so Mm -hmm. the guys you deal with how many of them talk to you about leases how many talk to you about lease returns how many of them uh are you know curious about leasing equipment
1: there if i if i was to put a percentage on it i would say you know i i i always think it's probably 6040 and then by the time you sift through all the details of the lease and this and that and the broad unfortunately but the broad spectrum of the population that hears the word lease and thinks rental like we pay the repairs and then you're no 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 it's it's a lease you know it's it's like buying only your payments cheaper that's the only difference blah 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 and then when it's up it's up By the time you sift through the details of a lease, there's still a lot of guys that end up a purchase. You know, you might be, and I have found a lot of times a lease catches a guy's, catches their eye, way more than an ask price or all the features and benefits and all that. You know, a cheap lease payment makes the phone ring, makes them ask questions. Really triggers the deal, but in the end, I'd say in my world, there's less than 25% on a good day that that uh ends up in a lease.
0: Yeah, I would say that's probably pretty close to what what the overall averages are. I mean, 25, 30, 35% of the overall marketplace is leasing right now, um, from what I've read anyway. So, I mean, it could be higher or lower depending on where you're at, but. It seems to me like the leasing into this business is not for everyone, obviously. But when we're trying to get through, you know, times where they're writing articles about plant all the corn you want, doesn't matter. You're not going to make any money, you know. You you know, run a new, running a newer piece of equipment as cheap as you possibly can to manage your risk, manage your cash flow, to you know, mitigate downtime and all those different things that that play out. Obviously, a lease is the cheapest way to go, but there are some different caveats that play into that. So, um, lease Uh returns, okay? So they're going to start piling up, right? And I I say that with a little little tongue in cheek to that, but you know, we're we're coming off of the time frame where twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, twenty fourteen. You know, every year they wrote more leases than they did the year before. And now those leases are going to start coming due. I've, I've referenced a, a podcast on here before uh, by Rabobank that that goes into that whole thing, that 2018, 2019, there's going to be a large amount of equipment that comes due, whether it be lease return uh, due or whether it's uh, the financial note that's a, that was on that piece of equipment. It becomes you know, paid in full. Um, so there's going to be a swing somewhere in the market that's going to say, all right, so one or two things are going to happen. People are going to either just keep what they have, or they're going to take that stuff, push it out, and bring some new stuff in, which is what we want to have happen. We want them to replace what they have paid for and, and, and what their what their window of, of operation is up on. But how many people do you think are going to be coming to the table in 2018 to to buy new equipment um, comparatively to to 16 or 17, and then look at you know 2019? Nothing's out there saying that it's gonna be, anything's gonna be any different. So my question, I guess I'm I'm asking you here is, when you look at 18, do you see the same level of equipment sales happening that we saw in 17? Or do you, and maybe gonna go up a little bit, or do you see it maybe flat to down going into 2018, just because of the stress that balance sheets are having now with coming into the fifth year of a overall declining economy?
2: When I look at, like, if I look at 18 towards the end of the latter half of 18, even the last quarter of 18, I mean, sorry, 17, I mean, and seeing how our equipment was moving, how our our guys were, what sales we were getting both on the new and used, I would say that 18 is going to be one of those years that we might see a little bit of single-digit growth in these areas. Um, But when I look at it as a, if I look back five years, or going into the fifth year of, of some tough times, you know, if I average everything out in my own mind, I would say we're pretty much going to be flat, in my opinion, from what I've seen in in my area of the U.S., um, maybe up a little bit. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I would be right now, if I had to say what I think the the market's going to look like for 18. If they if they were going to be flat, like we have been in 17, um, maybe a little bit of, of growth here and there in some areas.
0: Yeah. What do you think here? Uh
1: you know, I I was very surprised at the amount of new sold in seventeen.
2: Yes. Um
1: not not just our dealership, but a lot of different dealerships across the country. Um and that's what everybody else was saying too is I can't believe, you know, new for a lot of guys, believe it or not, was up in seventeen over sixteen. Um I don't see 18 going up from 17, but there's so many factors involved in that, you know, who knows? I know a lot of guys are saying, well, there's a lot of a lot of carryover income and, you know, this and that that drove new sales, but I, and, you know, I'm not, not throwing that in the trash, but. We've had crap prices for long enough. how much carryover can there possibly be? you know i I think there's I think dealers are getting more creative with how to move the new to keep the sign out in front um, i I possibly level to down i i don't see I don't see how it could continue to go up with the state of the farm economy right now. You
0: know, I put a blog out this morning that I had written over the uh, weekend, and I finally got around to posting it. Basically, it was talking about what we saw happen in 2018, uh, going into 2018, what that looks like. I'm, I'm probably more like Kyle here, we're a little more uh, flat to, to slightly up, uh, basically outlook on 2018. I think with everything staying the same, the same issues are gonna be there that were there in 17, and nothing's gonna be any different. And with that being said, there economically there's going to be the same strains and struggles so I, I don't see why there would be any any reason for it to to slide off now world world supply is going to continue to be an issue when it for crop prices we planted less wheat in the world last year than we did the year before and crop and wheat prices still went down okay so that tells you that there's a you know abundance of supply so just got to work through the supply, just like everything else, and um, you know, sooner or later it'll turn around, and it's just like any other cycle in this business. It's uh, either really, really good or really, really bad, and every once in a while you get somewhere in between, and and hopefully we're working up to that in between part.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, you're right with the cycle. I don't think. Yeah, I think we're kind of in the, in between, honestly, because it could be a lot worse than it is.
0: Oh, absolutely, It could be a lot worse.
1: Yeah,
0: it could be a lot worse. Exactly. Well, I think we've kind of covered it here, folks. So, um, Aaron and and Kyle, do either one of you have anything that you'd like to throw out to the world before we shut it down?
2: Not that I can think of right now, Casey. Hey, buddy.
1: No, just just uh, keep on keeping on is about it. You know, yeah. when, if there's a if there's a deal strike and keep your eyes keep your keep your head on a swivel as a friend of mine says
0: right keep your head on a swivel right.
1: <laughs> There you go. get after it there you go go out and get after it
0: all right here we go. <laughs> so, all right well that's going to do it for this edition of the moving iron podcast i'd like to thank aaron and kyle for being guests on this episode remember if you'd like to continue any of these conversations you can hit me up on facebook twitter or instagram at moving iron llc or you can find me on linkedin You can also send me an email at Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit, movingironllc.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from Moving Iron Blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcasting platform. Or Or if you shop Amazon, please use the Amazon click-through, livingironllc.com. It won't cost you anything, and you still have the same experience that you're accustomed to while supporting the podcast. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.